Another great day of worship, amen. And it's not over. We're going to continue to worship now as we get into the Word. I didn't know what to talk about uh, or what to call this. I knew what we were going to talk about. I didn't know what to call it. And uh, still don't, not really convinced about it, to be honest. But there's a famous image that you've probably seen. And it's known as the three wise monkeys. See no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. And there's different, you can go out on the uh, interwebs and find different uh, resources that tell you different things about where it originated, but uh, most say that it came from a 17th century carving on a door that was in front of a Japanese shrine. And I think we have a picture of the three monkeys. Have we got that? Can we put that? Wait a minute. That's not the three monkeys. We're going to talk about the fourth monkey. Now, this fourth monkey we're going to talk about today is also not this guy on the right. So we're going to talk about a fourth monkey, but this guy... He sees nobody, hears nobody, and talks to nobody, and that's not what we're going to do either. So today I want to talk to you about a different fourth monkey that needs to be added to these three, which is do no evil. If you don't allow things into your ears or your eyes, then they won't get in your heart, and then you won't say anything evil. So there's the three, and that's fine, but it's really more important about uh, how you act. It's not just what you say. It's how you act. And so we, we, we don't want to do anything that's evil, even if we don't see, hear, or say anything evil. For the follower of Christ, I believe that Peter gives us a clear prescription for how we're to live a life that does not do evil. And I want to see that. I want to try to show you that in our passage today. And to do that, I'm going to look in three different directions. I'm going to look inward. I'm going to look outward. I'm going to look upward. Now, I didn't. I, this, this is embarrassing to admit this, but y'all know me. Uh, I didn't realize that I had used those three before, and maybe it was like, maybe it was one of those uh, subconscious things, Ron, that I'm jealous because people are plagiarizing other people, and I haven't plagiarized, and so I figured I would kill two birds with one stone. Since nobody else is possibly going to plagiarize me, I'll do it. So I preached a message out of Micah a few months ago called Living Well in a Cancel Culture, and if you're a note taker, you'll probably recognize these are those same three points. But I honestly did not notice that until I was, <laughs> until I was finished with the message. So, you know, the Lord uses uh, thick rocks sometimes to do what he wants to do. So let's start with looking at the inward. I think it's important that we always begin there. We start with cleaning our own house before we get anybody, else, get anybody else's house. And so let's look at the inward. Look at verse 8. And it begins with this word finally. That's a Greek word, telos which is uh, akin to the word tetelestai, which is what Jesus said from the cross when he said, it is finished. And this word telos means in conclusion or in summary, finally. Um, some of y'all want to say that every Sunday when I get to the end of the sermon. Telos. Uh, to summarize our command to submit. Y'all can laugh at that, by the way. It's okay. When you, don't laugh at the, when you don't laugh at those kind of things, it makes me think that I hit a nerve and that y'all are really like wanting to hear me stop. Um, to summarize our command to submit to things is, is what he's really doing. So think about what he's been doing. And, and by the way, I'm so thankful that we're done with the submission. Can just anybody else want to be honest and you know, tell the truth and stay in the church? It's a, little, it's a little more comfortable this morning not talking about submission for the last three weeks. But what he's doing is he's saying, okay, we talked about submission. We talked about submitting to government. We talked about submitting to your earthly masters. We talked about wives and husbands and their mutual submission, if you want to think of it that way. 
And so finally, now he's moving on, and he's going to surmise everything that he said about submission. And the reasoning behind what he was saying about submission is to really get us to this point in the text where he can say, now, we've talked about all that. Finally, or in summary, or, or in conclusion, here's how you need to act as a family of faith. Now, I want to be honest I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to just heap compliments for no reason, but I want to be honest. This sounds very self-serving, but there's not a better church than, than Westmobile Baptist Church. There are no better people that I've ever, and I, I love the people I've served with before, attending churches, leading in churches, but I've never been at a place where the feeling was so familial and so refreshing every week to be here. But I, I don't want us to get cocky. I don't want us to get arrogant and think that because we have a great koinonia, we have a great fellowship, that we can just take it for granted. We can just kind of put everything in neutral and not really do the work of following Christ and submitting to Christ and living out our salvation. So I want to tell you that I, my, my hope and my prayer is that as we go through these verses, that each one of you, now it, again, the human nature side of us is, Gary, for, for me to preach this message and you to be looking over there at Martha going, mm-hmm, I hope she's hearing this. Right? Carl is going, mm, man, I'm so-and-so, and so-and-so. He's looking around. He's, you know, that's our human nature is to, is to think, man, somebody, so-and-so needs to hear this. Well, I got news for you. This morning, you're so-and-so. I'm so-and-so. I need to hear this. We all need to be able to examine ourselves and make sure that we are staying as clean and close as we can, clean hands and a pure heart, walking humbly before our God, trusting and obeying everything that He tells us to do. So, so I'm, just, I'm asking you this morning to, to let this scripture examine you. It certainly beat me up all, all week, or the last two weeks actually, so let this scripture examine you this morning. We want to make sure that we remain the most Christ-honoring family of faith that we can possibly be. And so to do that, I want us to look at some of the words that he used. And, and remember, when he uses these words here, he says, all of you, all of you. This is not just for the leaders. This is not just for the, the teachers. This is not just for the special among us. This is for all of us. So the first word I want to talk about he uses here is like-minded. Uh, in the Greek, it's a, it's a kind of funny-sounding word, hermaphron, uh, hermaphron. And it's a combination of two Greek words. And the literal translation, listen, this is cool. The literal translation, homo, it's, it's not homo, but it's, I can't pronounce the Greek word, but it's that, that root, homo meaning one, and then uh, spheron, I think is how it says it, is the second word. And this is the literal translation. Having the same inner outlook as regulating outward behavior. Now that's a whole lot different than just we go to the same church or we, you know, grew up in the same town or we like the same whatever. Having the same inner outlook as regulating outward behavior. So here's, here's the point of this. We don't have to vote the same. We don't have to cheer for the same team or have the same hobbies or, or even like the same foods. But we must be united in spirit. That means that we give the most precious commodity on this planet, the benefit of the doubt. I'm convinced this is the most precious commodity because people are so challenged to give it. But that's what we have to do. Rather than assuming the worst in our neighbor, 
the worst in our fellow church member or whatever. We have to assume the best. And we have to try to be like-minded, united in spirit. Root for the team you want to root for. Vote for the person you feel like God is leading you to vote for, regardless of political affiliation. But for the love of all that is good and kind, don't let that break the fellowship. We must remain like-minded. I will also remind you that nobody has ever been convinced to change their mind from being yelled at. We were talking about this last week. Uh, you see a lot of push in, this, uh, in the country today for certain things, and, and it's like the more they push, I want to I ask them, uh, Jim, I want to ask them, have you met any Americans? Have you talked to very many Americans? <clears throat> if you start yelling and shouting and, and pushing me, I'm probably going to bow my neck up. People are like that. They don't like being yelled at and screamed at and belittled and down. And so we shouldn't do that as Christians either. Now careful, because it's easy to look at some things that are happening in our culture and in our political sphere and say, they're just trying to do this, this, and this. And listen, church, we've got to be careful that we're not guilty of the same thing. Nobody has ever been saved from being clubbed over the head with a Bible. Fellowship has never been developed through yelling. Find common ground and build something from there and start from there and remain like-minded. Listen, again, I, I know I keep doing this every week, but I'm, I'm just captivated by the similarities between Peter and Paul's writing because of the dichotomy of Peter and Paul as individuals. Even seeing in Acts that they butted heads, literally butted heads over some, some issues, and Paul called Peter on the carpet, and there's, there's friction there. But, but this is a great place to learn about like-mindedness because even though Peter and Paul had differences of opinion on how we should do things and the, and the progression of the church and, and all these kind of things, they were like-minded in how they thought and they, they were like-minded in allowing the Holy Spirit to use them and speak through them. Listen to the, the similarities here. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I urge you in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, that here's the quote, all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Doesn't that sound like what Peter just said? Now listen to what he said in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. He says, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you. He says, walk worthy of the calling you've received. And then in verse 3, he says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's like-mindedness. Like-mindedness is not, I agree with you because I'm supposed to. Like-mindedness is not, I agree with you because I want to belittle you or, or I, I, I'm just trying to, uh, you know, pacify you. It's, it's being like-minded because you have the same spirit. And then he goes on and he says we're to be sympathetic. And that, that's a Greek word that means having compassion on one another. Listen to Paul's writing in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's sympathetic right there. Just that one passage, rejoice with the happy ones, weep with the broken ones. You could translate that that way. And that's having sympathy. That's showing sympathy. And then he says to love one another. That's the brotherly love, the, the, the love as brethren. And then he says this word compassionate, to be compassionate uh, and humble. Compassionate is a really cool word. I can't say it exactly the way they say it, but it's you splang nos. You splang nos. All right, now listen, again, David, I know you, David likes these words like I do. Maybe, maybe just me and you, okay? This is so cool. The literal translation of that Greek word, you know what it is? 
I think I've shared it before. It literally means, if you just literally translate it, it means good guts. Good innards, as we'd say in the South. So he's saying that, that you're to be filled with this, and the, the translation here is a tenderheartedness, a, a, a broken internally for someone. You can't be hard-hearted and surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. You can't be hard-hearted and surrender to the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Listen, we've got way too many people in our country today that are tender-headed and hard-hearted. Bless God, if we're going to be the church of the living King, the church of the risen Christ, we must reverse that. We must reverse that. We must be tender-hearted, compassionate, showing this kind of concern. Listen again to Paul's uh, echoing of what Peter says here. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. It's amazing to me that people who have been forgiven of so much can hold a grudge. Carrying a grudge. You ever heard the term carrying a grudge? You know why they call it carrying a grudge, Mike? Because you're carrying it. <laughs> I've heard it said that carrying a grudge or, or having that kind of animosity is like drinking poison expecting somebody else to die. And then the last word there he uses is humble, uh, tapanophron. And it means lowly in mind. I love that. Uh, I, think, I can't remember the quote, but it's a... Uh, Humility is not thinking of your thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I love that. It's, it's putting other people before you, not, not thinking that you're lower, not thinking that you have a negative opinion of yourself, but it's, it's having a godly opinion of yourself, but thinking of others first. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's from Proverbs 3.34. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Let me tell you something. If you're doing a lot of work in your life to exalt yourself, first off, it's a fruitless endeavor. Second off, let God do that. That's His job. That's what He does well. You humble yourself and let God exalt you. And look at me. If He chooses not to exalt you, give Him glory. I was talking to a brother this week who's going through one of the most horrific things I can imagine. And if I told you you know who it was, I'm just going to hold off on that. But he's just, and watching him walk through this has really been encouraging to my soul. It's, it's, been, it's broken my heart multiple times for him, but, but he's walking through this with such grace. And he was talking to me about how he had gotten through it. And he said, you know, I started reading, I was reading in Job. And then I went back to Genesis and read the first two chapters of Genesis and thought about all that God was doing there. And then I would go over and I would read in the Psalms. And here's the point that I made with him. I said, the point that I think is missed on us in the church a lot of times is when we read Job is we don't understand fully that God is fully worthy of all glory and honor and praise, look at me, before he ever restores Job. Job had it right. Though he slay me, yet I will worship catch that he's worthy even if he never does anything else for us and if you'll get that humility will just flow right out of you and we talk about the inward because the inward is so important but if the inward is all you deal with and if the if the outward is different than the inward 
again, if, if you on the outside you are kind and sweet and gentle at church, and then you get out and boy, your guts are tied up, you're so angry and frustrated, and you want to think you're thinking all wishing all these bad things on people. They got a word for people like that. Hypocrite, fake, phony. You know what me and April have, have found? One of the main things that God taught us in dealing with college students, dealing with millennials and, and Gen Zers, you know what, what we've learned about that? Y'all listen, they're, they're worse than a hound dog or a, or a beagle. I mean, they're, 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 they're better than a bloodhound. They can smell a fake through 17 feet of cinder block. I'm just telling you, they can see it. They can find a phony. It's like a little phony detector. You know, it's like a little bunch of little hipster-looking, beanie-wearing, coffee-sipping uh, phony detectors. You get, any, you get them near a phony and their meter goes off. In the world we live in today, more than any other time, we've got to be genuine in our care for others. We've got to be genuine in our compassion and our, our tenderheartedness, our, our brokenness. And we've got to be committed to do whatever God leads us to do, regardless of how it affects us. Let me give you one, one statement about this that I wrote down, and then we'll move on to the next one. We will never act outwardly in a way that honors Christ until we learn to allow the Holy Spirit to control how we respond inwardly. I want you to think about that. Allowing the Holy Spirit to control how we respond inwardly. It's not the old cheesy, hey, good morning, brother. Good to see you. And in your heart, you're going, I hope you step on a nail. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, 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 anybody, well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> that would be meddling times 10. We're not going to do that. You know in your heart, examine yourself. Have you ever done that? You ever been in a situation where you just, hey, good morning. Oh, that dress looks so nice on you. I wish you would strangle with it. You know, like you ever had that kind of where you just have that animosity, but you don't want to show it? That's not honoring the Lord. The inward is important. But secondly, let's look at the outward. We've got to start on the inward, but it can't stop there. I mentioned it earlier, uh, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, the world is watching. Yeah, buddy, the world's always watching. It's not something new that the world is watching, those of us who profess faith in Christ. Social media has given them a deeper view of us, but they're always watching. And so it's very important that we live outwardly what we have already allowed the Holy Spirit to do inwardly. Henry Ford said this, you can't build a reputation on what you are going to do. You can't build a reputation on what you are going to do. Let me modify that for us. You cannot make disciples by thinking about doing it. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. You see, all the preaching that I can do is irrelevant if I'm not loving my wife and, and raising my kids in a godly, in a God-honoring fashion, if I'm not being a good friend, a good son, a good brother, a good whatever. If I'm not loving my neighbor, then it doesn't matter how good I preach or how loud I preach or how long I preach. What matters is what's going on on the inside and is I, am I allowing God to work that out on the outside? Here's a statement. If we act the same as lost people, we are missing our best opportunity to be walking, talking advertisements for Jesus. Remember, we are the trailer, and He is the coming attraction. Remember what Peter said just a couple, a few verses ago in 1 Peter 1, 1, 2, 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, so that we may proclaim, and that word proclaim means to loudly announce or to advertise. He's using these words to let us know how we're supposed to be uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And it's got to start with how we think inwardly, but then it's got to naturally flow into what we do outwardly. Listen to what he says here. Not paying back evil for evil. That word evil there is injurious, bad, harm, ill, noisome, wicked. Paul says in Romans 12, 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Look at what he's doing there. Again, the similarities are stark. When you look at Paul and Peter, even though they didn't agree on everything in the church, they really agreed on being submitted to the Holy Spirit. And then he says, not paying back insult for insult. That's slander, railing, reproach. Not, not Just because somebody badmouths you doesn't mean you can badmouth them. Just because they tell a yo mama joke about you doesn't mean you have to come back with a yo mama joke and retort to them. We need to, Listen, when it comes to that kind of tennis that we're playing in the world, we need to lay our racket down. Let them slander us. Let them badmouth us. That's what they're going to do. They're, they're, they're being led and controlled by the adversary. They're going to be. Look at it. Guess what they're going to be, Charles? If they're being controlled by the adversary, guess what they're going to be? Adversarial. We act like we're amazed. They didn't like my Facebook post. They don't like you. Because you're living in a way that convicts them. Because you're following Christ. They're convicted by the way you live. They're not going to like you. The worst mistake the church can do in the world is trying to make the church or make the world like the church. I'm not trying, this is not a popularity contest. I'm going to preach Christ and Him crucified. I'm going to let the power of the Holy Spirit do the work. And if God draws them, they will be drawn. If I try to draw them, I will never get them to heaven. And then he uses this phrase, on the contrary. This is a pivot phrase. So don't pay back evil for evil. Don't pay back insult for insult. But on the contrary, give a blessing. Now, we're going to use this word blessing here. He's used twice in this one verse, in verse 9. But I want you to catch this. This is so cool. Me and David, don't want people to think about that. I think it's cool, maybe, but it's, I promise. Trust me, if you don't think it's cool, just check your cool meter. It's cool. Listen to this. The first time when he says, on the contrary, giving a blessing, this is eulageo. Eulageo in the Greek, okay? It means to thank or to invoke a benediction upon. So when he says, Instead of giving back an insult for an insult or giving back evil for evil, instead, pivot on that and give them a prayer. Pray blessings over them. Pray for them. Pray that God would bless them and, and call them to himself. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. He says, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You see the opposite is going on here. What Jesus tells us to do and what our natural inclination would be are complete opposites. And then he used, I'm going to get back to the other blessing in a minute, but then he uses this word again. Since you were called, since you were, it's the word is kaleo. That's, this is the same word he used about being called into ministry, being called from death into life. You are being called, invited for this ministry. Look at that. The ministry of what? The ministry of loving people. The ministry of, of blessing them when they curse you. The ministry of not doing what the world would do and not doing what your flesh tells you to do. Not paying back evil for evil. They punch you and you just pray for them. We don't, we don't want to punch back. And then he says this, so you inherit a blessing. That word inherit means to be an heir. So you want to be an heir of this blessing. Now here's the other Greek word. Two Greek words, both of them translated as blessing in this passage. Here's here the other one. 
and you'll catch where this one is, eulagia, eulagia. What word does that sound like? Eulogy. You know why? It's where we get it. Eulagia is literally translated well words. Well words. And we get our word eulogy from it. And eulogy is a speech or a piece of writing that praises someone or something highly, typically for someone who has just died. Now, catch this. So, instead of paying back evil for evil, insult for insult, instead, on the contrary, we pray a blessing over them. We pray a benediction. We pray God would bless them. And in, in return, we become an heir. Watch this. Here's the sense of it. We will receive a eulogy from the Creator. We will receive well words. You could consider that might be our well done even. We will get these well words at the end of our life. In other words, eulogy, when somebody dies, you say something nice about them at their service. It reminds me of the guy, there was these two, two guys in this town. They were terrible. They were crooked. They were cheats. They were fornicators. They were terrible. They had a ton of money. And they were, just, they were always just miserable people. And one of them died. And the other brother came to the pastor of the church, one little, little one-horse town, one-church town, comes in and he says, hey, I want you to preach a sermon. I want you to say something nice about my brother at his funeral. And if you'll say something nice about him, I'll give you $10 million. And the preacher's like, I don't think I can do that. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't saved. He had no fruit in his life. He was wicked and evil. And, you know, he died even in a way that was not really, you, know, you can't get around what he was doing. And he's like, I just can't do that. He said, well... I'll give you $10 million if you'll say something nice about him. And the guy gets up and walks out. And the preacher's sitting there, and obviously it would be a lot of money for the church. And he's like, man, we could pay this off. We could build a building. We have a community center. We could feed the homeless. We could shelter people. And so he starts praying about it, praying. He's worried about it, worried about it. He gets all the way up to the day of the service. And he stands up in the pulpit. He looks down at the casket, the old guy laying there. And he says, this guy in this casket was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He was the lowest of the low. He was a fornicator. He was a drunk. He was a drug addict. He was mean-spirited. He had no fruit in his life. Ever showed that he never came to church. He never made a profession of faith. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> Dave Ramsey says, if you live like no one else, later you can live like no one else. Okay. And, and I'm sure that's true. But, but let me tell you what I know is true. From a financial sense, that's true. But listen to me, from an eternal sense. Because see, that may be true about how, how you handle your finances, but it is 100% true about how you handle your eternity. Live like no one else. Live for Christ. And then one day when he returns or you pass away, you will live like no one else. So there's the inward and the outward. Let's look at the upward. Verses 10 through 12. He's quoting Psalm 34, uh, 12 through 16 here. And he's explaining the proper approach to life. 10 or 11 are some simple life instructions about how to honor Christ and live a good life. He says to truly love life, you have to know what it means to love Christ and to live your life sacrificially for him. And I think we forget sometimes this world is out to get us and the world can trick you into thinking that you can live your best life now. And by the way, we even have a pastor uh, who wrote a book by that title. And I'm going to tell you something. Just, I'm not trying to be ugly and I'm not trying to throw stones. But if you're living your best life now, guess where your eternity is going to be? 
Let me tell you something. You cannot live your best life on this side of eternity if you know Christ. Brennan Manning wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. He's written some other books, but this is a highly acclaimed book. Uh, some really cool reading in there. And here's, here's something he said, and he really kind of caught my eye. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It reminded me, I thought about it last night, and I couldn't find the, the quote, but it reminded me of a guy that was a, a guy who was an atheist and a non-believer, and he was watching this guy preach and talk about the gospel. And somebody asked him, said, Is he, has he converted you? He says, oh, no, no, no. I still don't believe what he believes. He said, but let me tell you something I know. He believes it. Can I just tell you something, church? If that would be said of every member of Westmobile Baptist Church, that would bless your pastor's heart. If, if people would say, man, I, I don't know if I believe what Jason and Tara believe, but I guarantee you they believe it because they live it out. I'm not sure, I, I, don't, I don't know for sure that I believe, or, or maybe I absolutely don't believe. I'm, I'm just 180 degrees against what they believe. I don't believe like they believe, but boy, I know they believe it. When we get that, we're getting the upward. Y'all know this, these passages here, but Luke 9, 23 through 25, Jesus told him, he said, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits his soul? The question has been asked multiple times. I'll ask it again here this morning. Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? He tells us we're to turn away from evil and do what is good. He says we're to seek peace and pursue it. That word turn away is, is, you could even say get out of the way. Get out of the way of evil. Flee from evil. The concept is that we have to turn away from one or the other. I've told you before, the idea of following Christ is not I was going my own way and then I turned 25 degrees to the right or to the left. The concept of repentance is a 180 degree turn. That's the only way you're ever going to get away from evil and towards God. Because why? Because God is so righteous and holy and just and pure that He is, it's like trying to put two magnets together with their opposite. They're pushing away. He will not be anywhere near evil. He will not have anything to do with anything that is not perfect and good and righteous. That's why our flesh can't make it into His presence because it's tainted. We have to get a glorified body. I want you to hear me. You cannot go after what is good and what is evil. You have to turn. You have to make a choice, a pivot. James 3.10, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Then in verse 11, does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water out of the same opening? And then when he says seek peace, here's the cool thing, another cool word, David. I'm just going gonna, gonna to hang with you on this. Zateo. It's one of those, it's got, a, it's got a D before the Z and when, you, when you pronounce it, and that, I struggle with that. Zateo. And here's what the literal meaning of that word seek is. To be about. Now, Katie, that, that's, not, that's not, we wouldn't use that word to say, go seek the Easter eggs. You know, hey, I lost my, I lost my contact, somebody help me 
seek my contact. This is a deeper meaning. This, this is something that happens inside of us internally that we become about peace. That we, we listen, you've heard me say it before, and I'm not, this is not from me, it's from somebody else, but you can either talk about it or you can be about it. I heard Johnny Hunt once say, uh, one time say, we need to stop coming to church and start being the church. I, wanna, I, want you to hear me, I want you to hear me say this. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all are here. I mean, hey, there are reasons not to come. If you're right, right now in COVID, if you don't feel good, stay home. Watch online. Don't take a chance. If you're running fever, we have a rule here. I've told the staff, if you throw up or run fever, don't come in. We don't need you that bad. We'll figure something out. If there's a, if there's a, a, a hurricane coming through on a Sunday morning, we're not going to meet. I mean, we're not, we're not going to challenge the sovereignty of God by trying to get out. We don't, I, don't, I trust God, but I don't play in traffic on Airport Boulevard. But if, if we're going to really know what it is to seek peace, to seek Christ, coming to church doesn't get there. But if you'll just be the church, coming to church will just happen. If you will be the church of the living God, you will come when we assemble. We're worried about making people feel guilty and coming to church. Hey, if they don't feel like they need to come to church, there's, there may be another problem there. Ah, I'll go when I get a chance or I'll go when I get to feeling guilty. Y- y'all known those people. I've known those people. Listen, I was that person. I didn't go to church for a long time, but then I would like have a particularly bad Saturday night, John. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just one of those where you're like, ooh, that could have that ended poorly. And I'd get to feeling guilty and I'd go to church. I see a lot of our Catholic brothers and sisters, and they're like, you know, I, I performed my duty. I fulfilled my obligation. In other words, I got to feeling like a wretched sinner, and I thought if I go to church and I do this, and I'm not a wretched sinner anymore. Here's the funny thing. Now you're just a wretched sinner that did that. You've got to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. You've got to let it be all that you are. And when you be the church, you'll come to church. When you seek peace, you're to be about peace. This is the call on our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. Not, not the peacekeepers, the peacemakers. For they will be called sons of God. This isn't peace at any cost. Rather, a focus on seeking it, being about it, pursuing it as best we can. Romans 12, 18, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Verse 12 explains we should live in a way that honors the Lord. He says the eyes of the Lord are dialed in to the righteous, and He hears their prayers. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says... Uh, This is the confidence we have. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we will have whatever we ask of him. But here's the problem. Only followers of Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit, which overrules and overcomes their flesh, can ask according to the will of God. Listen to Proverbs 28.9. Anyone who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is detestable. John 9, 31, this is the blind man who was brought before the Sanhedrin, or the Pharisees, and he was called to testify that Jesus had healed him, and they're trying to catch Jesus and doing something wrong, and they're, test, they're getting this guy to testify, and they're trying to get some information out of him. And here's what he says in John 9, 31, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone, uh, if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. So the very prayer of the lost person, I'll say this. In my opinion, in my, my theology is that the only prayer that God hears from a lost person is, Lord, save me. 
if you have rejected Christ and you're asking God to bless your family member, don't, don't wait, don't hold your breath. God is not listening to the prayer of the lost person until they confess Christ and call out for his help. And then he says this, this, this really cool phrase, the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. We see the same terminology used in Old Testament prophets, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. We even see it in Leviticus. This word face is countenance or presence. One commentary I, said, uh, I read uh, said that God makes them feel his anger. If you have any sense at all, knowing that God would want to make you feel his anger should scare you to death. And, and my prayer is that it would scare you enough that you would run to Christ. So there we have the inward, the outward, the upward. And I really hope that we, we all, all of us, everyone who claims Christ would want to be like those four monkeys. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, and do no evil. We can be careful about the things we watch and listen to to keep it out of our minds. We can try to control our mouths, let the Holy Spirit control our tongues, which James tells us, by the way, is no small task. But we need to live out every day what the Spirit of God is doing inside of us by making every effort to do no evil. And again, doing no evil is not simply uh, what you put on Facebook or how you act at church. It's how you act when nobody's watching. Character is who somebody is, what somebody does when no one else is around. To accomplish the goal of doing no evil, we have to surrender to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to grow us into his example. Remember the example? Remember that white sheet of paper that we put up against him and we rub it with that charcoal? How's that, how's that going in your life? Are you, allowing, are you allowing the Lord to use adversity and hardship and, and maybe conviction to, to, to rub that charcoal onto your clean sheet of paper so that the image of Christ becomes visible? If not, would you let Jesus start that process today? If you would stand with me this morning, our invitation is, is redundant. It's the same as always. I'm inviting you, the Holy Spirit of God is inviting you to be responsive to what He's doing in your heart. Maybe something I've said has quickened something in your mind and made you think about an area of your life that you're not living in full submission. Maybe it's caused something in your mind to think, man, I've got this relationship that I need to go work on. I've got this person that, that there's animosity between uh, us and, and I need to go do something about that. Maybe you're here today and you have conviction because you know that you've never fully surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. That maybe you made a profession of faith, but you've never lived that out. You don't have any fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you know, like I know, that no fruit means there's no root. That you're not rooted and grounded in Christ and you have no real relationship with Him. Whatever the Holy Spirit of God is prompting you to do, my earnest plea, my, my heart's cry, would be to beg you to be obedient to the move of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to say a brief prayer, and then if you need to come talk to me, or if you need to go make a, a, a relationship right, you do that this morning. Here, here's what I want you to do, church. Be obedient. Be instantly obedient. Because He deserves it. Let's pray. Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, we give you the glory and honor that you so richly deserve. We ask now, Lord, in this brief moment, this quiet time, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us and that we would respond in obedience. God, help us to do what you want us to do. Help us to be about peace. 
Help us to concentrate our efforts not just on what we hear and what we see or what we say, but Lord, let it be what we do. God, have your way in this place and we'll give you praise in Christ's name.